0: All right, if you have a Bible, open to the Gospel of Mark. We were in Psalms last week, where we continue our Mark study today. And we are in Mark chapter 12. And we're going to be looking at verses 28 through 34. So Mark 12, 28 through 34 is our text. And if you have a Red Pew Bible, this begins on page 848. Verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked them, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this: You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. (laughs) The word of the Lord. morning.
1: Welcome to Regeneration. If you've not been here before, I just want to throw out that welcome to you and love to meet you. Uh, Let's pray. Lord, we come here this morning um, realizing, I've heard throughout the week, God, that some do have heavy hearts just with what's happening in world politics. And we ask God that Peace would prevail. We ask, Lord, that you would have our eyes on you. This morning, as we look on the greatest commandments, that this message would sink into our minds, our spirits, our hearts, as to what is priority and to have those things frame the outlook that we have on what's happening in this world. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, um, I don't know how many of you were grew, grew up in the '80s, um, but they were a very glorious time. Um, I don't. I, I just see a few head nods, and for those of you who are younger than that, you don't realize like what you missed. It was just so great. Um, But, um, you know, growing up in the 80s with my my cousins, uh, we had this phrase that we used used to use to roast one another. And it was this phrase, um, so close, (laughs) but yet so far. And we do that all the time. And we're, we're a really competitive bunch. You know, I have 17 first cousins just on my mom's side. Um, so my maternal, and, that, and that's the side that I'm actually really close with, and that's the side that's Chinese Mexican, and so a lot of Mexican culture and heritage on that side. So we're really really close in terms of like, you know, Latinos are really close in terms of a family unit. That's my mom's side, like really really close and really really competitive, and we always played games against each other. And so the one of the things we used to do this uh, phrase, use this phrase on all the time was during video games and um, it was the the glory time of the Sega Genesis and when the Nintendo first came out with Duck Hunt and all that stuff, I'm telling you, 80s were the bomb, right? So um, Sega Genesis, we used to play this game all the time called Cyberball. I don't know if any of you remember that. If any of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about, go to Alameda and they have this arcade with all 80s games and you pay like 20 bucks and you can play all day. It's fantastic, anyway. And then there's also the Nintendo, on Nintendo we used to play a Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. It was so awesome. But anyway, we'd, we'd play these games and inevitably someone loses and someone wins, to which the winner would say to the loser, so close, but yet so far, right? And... And if you lost by, you know, a touchdown on cyberball or by a punch on, on Tyson's punch-out, you're so close to winning, but you lost anyway. You lost. Hence the latter part of that phrase. Yet so far. And it was, it was such a bitter pill to swallow because, you know, this competitiveness is just flowing through all of us. And, and sometimes that competitiveness resulted in violence, right? So we were really competitive. So that cyberball actually turned into actual tackling that Mike Tyson's punch out turned into actual punching. Like, it was really bad. And the older I got, the more painful it got, right? So, because I'm, I'm like right in the middle. So when it was a younger cousin, then great, I could pound them. But then like, if it's like an older cousin, I got in trouble, like they're a lot bigger than me. And so, you know, it, it, it wasn't just more painfully, physically, but also emotionally and also psychologically because they'd rub it in after, you know, walking down the hall and like, so close, but yet so far, you know, and they'd like rub it in and, and, and then carry out in our everyday lives because it moved from video games and then it moved into our competitive sports. So we attended each other's football games, even though they all lived in San Diego and I lived in L.A. We attended each other's games and things. And so without fail, if we lost, that loyal, faithful cousin of mine would come up to me right after a disappointing loss because I didn't cross the goal line or I didn't make the tackle or whatever. And I'm like, man, that was so close, but yet so far. And I'm just like sweating and so angry. I'm like... Not the time, I just want to get the helmet and like hit him with it. Or we played cards with, we, with each other, right? We played cards and, and we played this game called Chinese poker. I, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that game. Probably if you're Chinese, you're familiar with that game. But um, it's, and we play this and, and we'd have money on the line with this as well. And, the, and then the winning hand, the winning cousin would say to the losing cousin, so close. But yet so far. And then you'd have to pay up, right? And when a cousin would try to flirt with a girl, and we'd observe this from afar at a party or whatever, and and then she wasn't interested at all. So close. (laughs) You know, it got more painful, right? Those real-life experiences, they just got more painful. Verse 34 is a paraphrase of that. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That's, that, in essence, right? That's what it is. You're, you're, you're close, but you're really far. so so close to achieving something so close to success so close to that goal so close to understanding but so close is still so far it's really far you know it's inches from that goal line it still gives you a score of 0 20 is so close to 21 in blackjack but you're so far from a winning hand when someone has 21 right you're so far you're close enough to talk to that girl but she's not interested so far you're so far you're not far from the kingdom of god so could this be a statement that describes our relationship with god this morning for some of us maybe you're you're so close but still you're really far we we know the good news arrived in jesus who said in mark chapter 1 verse 15 the time is fulfilled the kingdom of god is at hand repent and believe in the gospel the gospel is at hand, and, and you are not far from the kingdom of God. Those aren't phrases that are talking about a physical distance. The kingdom of God is present in Jesus Himself as the King, and to be in the kingdom of God, one needs to repent. To live according to the will of God and not to one one's own agenda, to turn toward God. Along with repenting, one needs to believe in the gospel, to have faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, God, King, who has invited us into his kingdom. See, we don't force our way into the kingdom, we are invited into the kingdom through repentance, through belief, faith in the gospel. King Jesus is quite a different king, he's meek, he's humble. We saw this in his triumphant entry that he rode into the city on a colt of a donkey. He didn't come with this huge military behind him with all the music and everything like that. He wore a crown of thorns where he was mocked and bled through it. He did not wear a crown that was made out of gold and was praised. He came to suffer and die for our sins. And that's the background we have as we pick up our story here. Verse 28, Mark chapter 12. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, this scribe heard the Sadducees arguing, disputing with Jesus about the resurrection, and he was impressed with Jesus's answers. The the scribes had uh, studied the Old Testament all on their own. They memorized much of it. And and this scribe had this question of his own to ask Jesus. He wanted to know which commandment out of all the commandments is like the mother of commandments. Which one's the big one? And it seems that this scribe's question is actually genuine. Others came to Jesus wanting to trap Jesus, whether it was the Sadducees or the Pharisees or the scribes. And here is No mention that that this scribe's interaction with Jesus is other than sincere. It seems he sincerely wants to know what Jesus has to say about this. Anyone who has taught anything probably is familiar with people who ask questions because they genuinely want to learn. And there are others who ask questions because they just want to quarrel. right? And so those of you who are in teaching... You are going to be going back to your classrooms either next week or the following week. We will be in prayer for you because you know, you're going to have these kids that come up to you and they just want to debate you or talk to you or challenge you. But anyway, um, God bless you. Okay, verse 29. Jesus answered, the most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And with all your strength. Jesus here is not creating something out of his own head. He is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, which would be a really, really familiar text to any scribe. And this is the first part of the Shema, right? The the declaration of faith for every practicing Jew who learned Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41, the Shema. It's still taught to every practicing Jewish child today. They all know this. Every Orthodox Jewish service begins with the Shema. And here's the first part of it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. It's the very first part. And so you notice this word that we keep hearing in verse 30, all. See, loving God is pretty serious. It's quite serious to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind with all your strength it is not part it is everything all of it love God with everything that you have feelings emotions thoughts actions every part of you and it's a choice to choose we choose to love God in this all-encompassing way And it's more than just feelings, and it's more than just your thoughts, it's more than just your actions, it is all of it. You are completely sold out to loving God. Total commitment to God. So in devoting oneself to this commandment, you're actually committing yourself to all of them. You're committing yourself to all the commandments. Complete devotion to God. This commandment is not separated from the other commandments. This great commandment, it actually weds all of the commandments together. And then Jesus quoted Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, in Mark chapter 12, verse 31. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other other commandment greater than these. So love your God with all and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the greatest thing. We are to love God. We are to love others who are made in the image of God. And there are no conditions to loving our neighbors, however different they are from us. We are to love them. Whatever difference there are in, in lifestyle, in morality, in culture, in religion, or whatever it is, we are to love them. Jesus taught us this in the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, didn't he? Jews, which Jesus was and, and his followers were, and the Samaritans in Luke chapter 10 that he used in the story, they, Jews and Samaritans really disliked each other a lot. And they actually despised each other because they, of their racial differences and also because of their religious differences. The culture in Jesus' day made it impossible to think that a Samaritan would ever stop to help a Jew. It just didn't make any sense to any Jewish person at all that a Jewish priest or a Levite wouldn't stop to help a fellow Jew who was injured by the roadside. It just wouldn't make any sense to them. But to think that a Samaritan who they despised would stop and help especially given so many reasons to hate the Jews for their own racism towards them and and the condemnation. This is like an unthinkable story. Luke chapter 10 is an unthinkable story to a Jew. And so Jews often thought that Samaritans were worse than Gentiles. And so despite these differences, the Samaritans loved this this Jewish stranger really sacrificially, and the the injured... uh, Jewish man couldn't even ask for help, but the Samaritan didn't need to ask him because he, he, he saw that there was a need for him to serve him. And so he gave of his time, he gave of his resources, he used his own resources of wine and oil to treat that man's wounds, and then he used his own animal to transport that man, which means that he, he put that man on his animal, which means he He walked while he was pulling his animal to to take this man to an inn. And then he gave this man to an innkeeper and said, you know, I'll I'll pay for whatever happens. And so he, he provides all the resources needed to take care of this man. Then the scribe answered in verse 32 of Mark 12, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is not besides him and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love ones neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices the scribe is in complete agreement with Jesus and repeats what Jesus said now why would we be obligated to love a god with all of our hearts and with all the understanding and all all the strength that we have, if that God was from our own making? Have have we thought about this? You know, if if God was created by man, if created by these people, why why would we be beholden to a God that we've created? We, We wouldn't, right? If we made... God up on our own, if our predecessors of our faith made up a God of their own, there's no reason for us to be submissive to that God if he's a made-up God. If we made up God, that God was made to serve us, if we made him. And so we, we would just ask that God to do things for us. Why bother doing anything for that God? Yet 600 years before Jesus Christ, God incarnate Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote this of God in Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 7. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This exclusive claim of God recorded by Isaiah was just as offensive to people 600 years before Jesus Christ, just as it is 2,000 years after Jesus Christ. To... Make such an exclusive claim in our ultra pluralistic society. Few people don't get offended by, I am the Lord and there is no other. You go down to the lake today and and go tell people that you worship the Lord and there is no other. There's a lot of people, most of them will beg to differ they wouldn't believe that at all. And so this is one of our challenges as believers in the gospel. Our worship is exclusive to one God, Jesus, and there is no other. It is not okay with most other people in the Bay Area to have this sort of exclusive thought. People believe that there are many gods here. They believe that your God is just as valid as their God, as just as valid as the next person next to them. And to make this exclusive claim as to who is Lord and there is no other is offensive. It's looked as really small-minded. People fail to realize that before light and darkness, which Isaiah writes about, essentially what he's writing about is time. Before there was even time, Before well-being and calamity, before even creation, there was God. And you go back to Genesis 1.1, the very first thing written, in the beginning, God. There was nothing else, and there is our God. This is our God whom we love with all of our heart, with all of our understanding, with all of our strength. And this scribe made this observation to this love of God and this love of neighbor in verse 33. And he noticed, you notice he said that this love is, is he, he, he kind of puts this addition to it. He says it is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. See, he, he completely understands what Jesus is telling him. He understands that offerings and sacrifices, they were really important. That's why they were there. That's why they went to the temple to offer these sacrifices. But, but they were of greater importance uh, than, than the love of God with our all. They were, they were not and loving our neighbors as oneself, they are not greater than that. And he recognized that we can give all the offerings we can possibly give. We, we can give all the sacrifices that we can, but, but without loving God with all we are and, and, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's just not a good thing. We can do all these things in the name of God, but if we don't have an all-encompassing love for God and for each other, it's not an acceptable thing. It's it's like being in a marriage where it's more out of obligation, but there's no love in it. All the formalities of marriage are there, right? You you sign the license, and you are living under the same roof, maybe, and you're sharing responsibilities of the household, and maybe you're sharing resources, um, but there's no love. And the scribe recognized that love is much more important than these supposed sacrifices of trying to share resources or trying to share a roof or whatever that is. And it's not something that he came up with because he knew 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, where Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And then to verse 34, Mark 12. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Pastor Steve kind of chuckled after reading that because it, it's, it's kind of funny. And it's also kind of sad because you're like reading that and you're like, what? What, what do you mean? I'm, Because, you know, Jesus obviously saw that this scribe answered wisely. He said so. Jesus heard him answer biblically, according to Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and he even threw in 1 Samuel in there. So he's using the scriptures. But then Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And you're like, what? Because this guy has biblical knowledge, obviously. He's a scribe who seems teachable even. He didn't approach Jesus like the other guys. He, he came wanting to learn from Jesus. But then Jesus says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So close. But yet so far. Right? It's, you're, you're on third base. But you haven't stepped on home plate. And it, it's, it's kind of like the Dodgers that are doing so well, but they haven't won the World Series yet. And it just doesn't matter. But you remember in Mark chapter 10, verse 26, when the, when the disciples asked, then who can be saved? Remember this? When the rich young ruler went away disheartened and he went away sorrowful, he was, he was a person who said he kept the commandments that Jesus mentioned since his youth. But, but which commandment did he not live by? The first and the greatest commandment to love God with his all. He had, he had a false idol in his wealth, in his possessions. He didn't love God with all of his heart, all of his soul, all of his mind, all of his strength. His riches had his all. And he knew that. He knew that. The, the disciples looked at that guy who, who they thought, you know, God blesses people like that. That's why he's so wealthy. That's why he's so powerful. And, and you know, he said he followed these commandments. He's respectful. He came and he knelt at Jesus and asked these questions. He's obviously smart. And if that guy's not saved, who can be? And Jesus looked at them and said in verse 27 of Mark 10, With man it's impossible, but with God for But not with God, for all things are possible with God. And so I wonder if the disciples had the same thoughts going on in their mind when this scribe came to ask Jesus this question. Because he's religious, and he knew the Scriptures better than most people. He wanted to learn from God. But he's not far? Which means he's not arrived yet. And if he hasn't arrived yet as a scribe, as a religious leader, as one who studies these scriptures and knows them, who has? You look back to Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he was Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, Jews hated tax collectors. They considered them filth. They were dirty. And you continue on in verse 16, and and the scribes and the Pharisees, when when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to the, the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees were very religious people who followed the commandments. They prided themselves for the scriptural knowledge and their religious piety. They they thought that they were God's chosen people and, and they couldn't believe that Jesus, a rabbi, would hang out with those people who seemed the furthest from God. And when Jesus heard that, What they were saying, he said to them in in verse 17, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's who he calls. That's who he invites into the kingdom of God. And it goes back to Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of, of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, none of us are. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, Paul wrote, none is righteous, no, not one. He came to call sinners. Romans 3 again, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But sometimes our religiousness prevents us from seeing our true need of God. And the more reliant we are on our religiousness, the more it can fool us into believing that we are righteous when we really aren't. Sometimes, like the Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes, being religious actually keeps us from God. That's what happened to the scribe in our story. He sincerely wanted to know what the most important commandment was so that he could just keep it. That he could just be religious. And if I'm religious, then I'm in. And he was respectful of Jesus. He addressed him as teacher. He knew the scriptures well. But still, close but yet so far. Why is that? Because Jesus came to us to do more than just teach. Jesus came to save us. Sometimes people, people who love God with all of their mind can still distance themselves really far from God. And part of that is because they've left out loving God with the rest of themselves. And I'm sure many of you have met these people. They study the scriptures a lot. They know them a lot. They can recite a bunch of stuff, but then there's no love in their heart. And you're like, man, what kind of Christian are you? You're just really good at pounding me with all this theology and all this bible knowledge but then there's nothing coming from here like you have no feeling for me. And so a lot of people can share the gospel like this. They they can do all all the scriptural stuff. They can do the Roman road and they can do all these other things but they can't bring people to Christ because there's no love shared. It's not all of God. We are to love God with our entirety. Heart, soul, mind, strength. And so we look back to the rich young ruler who loved God with part of himself. We look at the scribe here who loved God with part of himself. And that's not the most important commandment. It's all of you. All of you. And Jesus came to save us. He came as Savior, as an exclusive Savior, in that no one else can save us from our sins. He didn't just come as a teacher. He didn't just come as a good role model for all of humanity. He came as Savior. Luke chapter two verse eleven: For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Matthew 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke nineteen ten: For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. There are so many other verses that point to Jesus as Savior exclusively one more here Romans chapter 8 starting in verse 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are set free from the law of sin and death by Jesus, God's only Son his only son, exclusive. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We are to love God with our all. But let's be really honest. Who here has done that? If that's the requirement, who can enter into the kingdom of God here? I think all of us are uh, so close, but yet so far if we're kind of going by this, right? None of us have loved God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And if you think you have, you're a liar. You're you're fooling yourself. Because that's just living a perfect life and no one has lived this perfect life except for Jesus Christ. And thank God he sent his son. Thank God he sent Jesus. Thank God it's not up to us that the gospel shows that Jesus paid it all. That the gospel, the good news points that you and I can't possibly earn our way into the kingdom of God, that Jesus made it possible, that he did that for us. Now, this is not to say that we don't put effort into showing ourselves approved. We are to put as much effort into loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength. We also realize that that we don't deserve the kingdom of God, and we can't earn it. It's all through Jesus, and we follow Jesus. Jesus said this, Mark 8, Verse 34 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So this scribe, what happened to him? What happened to him after this story? We we don't know. We're not told what happened to him. You are not far from the kingdom of God. So Jesus, did he make it? Did he enter? We're not told. We don't know the end of this story. But what about you? Where are you with God? Are you not far from the kingdom of God, which means that you're not in it? And maybe you do know a lot of the Bible, and you can answer a lot of theological and biblical questions. You even abide by most of the commandments, but you're still just close. What did the scribe lack that makes it unknown if he entered the kingdom of God? What did he lack? There's one thing that could tell us that he entered if he only asked Jesus to be his savior. And he sincerely asked that question about the most important question that he he thought that he should follow in terms of a commandment. But if he just asked Jesus to be his lord and savior, I think we would be like, That was it. That he did that in faith. That he believed in the gospel. It wasn't something that he had to do. And strive for and do all these things. So this morning, if you ask Jesus to save you, he will. That's why he came. He came to save. He's Savior. And maybe there's something holding you back. Maybe the scribe worried about what others would think, what his colleagues would think since he was a scribe. And and maybe that's you. Maybe you're concerned about what others would think if you made this confession, this profession of faith. Maybe you're like the rich young ruler in that there are these false idols in your life that you'd rather serve, but know that those things ultimately lead to sorrow as it did for him. And maybe you think that you're already good enough maybe you think that there's a ledger that this this life if I live better than I do than living badly then I'm going to make it that's not not how it's done If, if you were there there wouldn't be a reason for Jesus to come if you were good enough there would be no reason for Jesus to come you could make it but Jesus did come as a sign to show that none of us are good enough, that we're all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and he wants to save you, if, and if you could have done it on your own, there's no reason for him to come. So whatever is holding you back, it is not worth your soul. Mark chapter 8, verses 36 through 38. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let me end with these verses. They're very well-known verses. It's John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Jesus, we, we might have all these different questions for you and we might even be in agreement with how you answer them. But obviously there was something holding back the scribe that he was still not yet into the, entering into the kingdom of God. And that step of faith, I pray, Lord, even though it can be such a short distance away can be so far. And I pray, God, that that is bridged for anyone here that may be struggling with that. That that step of faith would be taken this morning. God, people here are good people and that their hearts are really good. And I know, God, that they care for one another but there is something lacking at times God in terms of desiring to love you with their all that there is something that we tend to reserve for ourselves and so we need that step of faith Lord knowing that you would cover all those sins and all those shortcomings I pray that you would give that courage to anyone here He's really close to making that step, but still they're so far. In Jesus' name, amen.